Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effects on the markets. This podcast is for educational purposes and should not be taken as investment advice. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you're prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now onto the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dylan Holman, and this week we have a returning special guest with eToro Global Market Strategist, Ben Layla. Thanks for joining, Ben. Hey, Dylan. Great to be here. On the podcast today, we'll be discussing earnings season, Earth Day, and seasonality. First things first, though, Ben, what's been happening this last week? You know, markets have been taking a bit of a breather, right? We've had this very strong rally, you know, so far this year. U.S. equities up, uh, you know, 11.5%. The rest of the world, you know, a little bit less. I think this breather is, you know, very healthy, um, allowing earnings to sort of catch up with, with valuations a little bit. You know, outside of, of equities, though, it's, it's certainly been more exciting. You know, a number of commodities such as copper have been hitting sort of new multi-year highs, helped by covering economies and, and the recent weakness of the US dollar. Crypto has also seen some volatility. Also, you know, after hitting new highs recently, um, the US is proposing to increase tax rates on capital gains. That's arguably a good problem to have, given that, you know, you need some capital gains to pay those taxes. But it's been a bit of a recent overhang on that market. Okay, so let's crack on then. We've talked in recent podcasts about it being earnings season. This week, we saw a number of tech companies announcing their results. So what were the main headlines that people have been talking about? Yeah, so, you know, we're over a quarter of the way through this earnings season. So far, it's been a lot better than expected. You know, coming in, we were expecting about 25% earnings growth. Uh, versus the same period last year. Now, I think those expectations are closer to 35. Uh, and this is really important because valuations already pretty high. So if the market's going to move higher, that sort of heavy lifting needs to come from earnings doing better than expected. And, and the good news is that that's exactly what's been happening. I guess the caveat is that it's still relatively early days. Uh, this is the busiest uh, week of earnings. Uh, and as you say, that includes many of the of the big tech names. We saw very strong results from Alphabet, the owner of Google, yesterday, and some pretty solid results from Microsoft. You know, both I think showing that some of these sort of lockdown benefits are frankly continuing even as uh, the U.S. sort of opens up. Um, and we have Apple and Facebook uh, to come later this week. And I presume the likes of Apple and Facebook are also expecting some positive results then with everyone obviously being in, in lockdown and that having a, a positive return on many of these similar types of companies. Well, so if, if you take those big tech firms together, like, you know, the so-called fangs, we're looking at about 50% earnings growth year over year. I mean, those are pretty big numbers. They're certainly not sort of normal, you know, normal numbers. And a lot of that is coming from obviously the sort of benefits of lockdown. This is a little bit of a transition quarter, though, right? Because, you know, we began to see the sort of US opening up in the quarter, people getting out and about a little bit more. And there definitely been some question marks as to sort of how much of those sort of lockdown benefits would sort of, you know, begin to begin to fade away. And I think so far... I mean, there have been some exceptions, but but so far, you know, the strength is really continuing. 50% growth is phenomenal returns for a company the size of Apple and uh, and these other huge, huge companies. You know, it's not like a startup, which is growing at 50% rate. So that's obviously on, on one side. And then was there any, any unexpected sectors that have performed well? Right. So I guess on the positive side, you know, financials have been, you know, the really big surprise so far. You know, the sharp economic recovery that we've been seeing has meant that, you know, their loan losses have been a lot lower than um, than people initially feared. 
And then on the other side, you know, we've had these sort of booming stock markets and a lot of new companies, you know, IPO and coming to market. And that's really helped the sort of investment bank sort of side of their businesses. So, um, you know, these are the cheapest stocks in, 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 in the US. So, you know, when you get those sorts of surprises, it's certainly very good news for them. You know, less positively, and I guess to, you know, slightly contradict what I said earlier about tech, I mean, we had Netflix last week, you know, one of the so-called bang big tech names. They didn't do as well as hoped. Obviously, you know, now coming out of lockdown, uh, less people are signing up for their service on the one hand, and on the other, competition's picking up. You know, from the likes of Disney and HBO, the so-called sort of streaming wars are, are, are well underway. But, you know, I would just caveat that, you know, it's not all bad news. I mean, less lockdowns for them will mean they can also produce more shows, uh, which got really disrupted last year. And in the fullness of time, that may well mean that, you know, those, those new subscriber growth numbers start accelerating again in the future. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on this kind of streaming wars, as you mentioned, because there's so many now trying to enter that space with huge, deep pockets as well. Well, looking a little bit closer at the tech sector, we had the big announcement of Tesla's earnings. Um, and that's a company that a lot of people ask us about. So they showed profits for the first three months of the year at $438 million, which is up $16 million from last year. Are these the sorts of numbers which investors were expecting? You know, we were expecting a reasonably good quarter anyway. You know, they already told us that their car sales for the first quarter were going to be 180,000, which was up, you know, very significantly versus, versus the year before. But, you know, to your point, even with that, the profits they reported were significantly better than what analysts were expecting. Uh, and I guess as importantly, you know, it was the seventh straight quarter that, that they've actually made money. So I think, you know, beginning to show that consistency, I think, has also been, um, you know, very, very important for them. You mentioned this is the seventh straight quarter that they've made money. However, looking at that money that they're making, you know, a lot of that is bolstered by the sales of Bitcoin, which they notoriously bought earlier this year, and also the environmental credits. So the company bought $1.5 billion of Bitcoin during the first quarter and then sold that 10%, contributed $101 million to its revenue, whilst its environmental credits earned them $518 million in the first quarter alone. So huge, huge amounts. Do you think this should be a worry for investors that a lot of the money that Tesla are making is actually not from cars themselves? I, I don't think so. I mean, those two things certainly flattered the results and made them look better than they actually were. Uh, but, you know, only the Bitcoin sale was new, I think, to us. You know, environmental credits have been an important part of earnings for a while. Uh, and, and more broadly, you know, this was always going to be somewhat of a transition quarter for the company. I mean, you've got some pretty major product updates, you know, coming through. Uh, you've got the Model S, you know, deliveries, you know, starting next month. Uh, you've got new factories starting up in Germany and Texas and expanding in China. And, and the company's targeting 50% um, growth in, in deliveries this year versus last year. So I think that's all that's sort of coming and that you didn't see, you know, in the, um, uh, in, in the first quarter. Uh, you know, the issue as always, though, is that expectations on this stock are always very high. So they really just, you know, do need to keep delivering. I mean, obviously, the stock rose, you know, eightfold last year. And, um, you know, valuation today is about 150 times sort of forecast earnings. So, you know, some of that's in the price and they do need to keep delivering. Huge sentiment for Tesla and obviously its CEO, Elon Musk. I saw that he's going to be the host of SNL uh, next week. So his, uh, his status as a, a character in the, in the business world is uh, ever growing. Yeah. Anyway, moving on to the recent Earth Day, which took place on the 22nd of April. 
So this was particularly newsworthy because the US hosted 40 world leaders. And interestingly, President Biden committed the US to an ambitious goal of cutting emissions by half by 2013. What impact would that sort of announcement have on the markets? Yeah, so I think this is a pretty big deal. I mean, just think about it for a second. You know, that's a huge change that they're trying to achieve in a little over eight years. And the US is the world's second largest polluter. That's why things like Biden's plan, two trillion infrastructure you know, plan has a very large sort of green component to it. You know, big proportion of that two trillion is going into sort of green technologies. You know, another way to sort of look at it, I think, is, you know, if you look at the cost of carbon or, or you know, the cost of pollution, it's going to keep rising. That's how they sort of drive this, this transition. And that's going to be a huge boost to renewable companies. And it's going to be an increasingly big headwind for polluters. Uh, and, and, you know, just to put some numbers on this, to put it in perspective. So, you know, the cost of emitting, you know, a ton of CO2 or, you know, a ton of air pollution in Europe today, and Europe's sort of taking the lead on a lot of this, is, is about $50 a ton and rising. If you look globally, the cost averages about $2 a ton. And, you know, so that's the direction of travel. Right, over the next sort of decade, that $2 is going to go to 50 and, and probably significantly higher. And that's going to be a huge additional cost for polluters. And that's going to be a big incentive for people to invest and, and, and support uh, and support these renewable companies. So, you know, these environmental issues have clearly been rising up the agenda for a while now, both for consumers and increasingly for investors. Uh, and I think this is only going to accelerate from here. This is obviously a huge swing, though, from President Trump's days in, uh, in office. And the Republicans are vowing to fight these proposals. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, what do you think is going to happen? I actually think this is less political than it looks. You know, even under Donald Trump, you know, many city states companies were all turning greener. Uh, and that was sort of driven by, I think, three things. I mean, local regulations, technological change and, and the demands of consumers. Just to give you two examples, I mean, look at California. You know, if California was its own country, it would be the fifth largest country in the world, have the fifth largest economy in the world. They have been tightening their own car emission standards. And the global car industry has had to follow, just given the huge size of that market. And this is regardless of who's in the White House. Or if you look at renewables, I mean, the US now generates 20% of its electricity from sort of pure renewables. So, you know, water, solar, wind. Uh, that proportion is double what it was a decade ago. Uh, that displacement, you know, has all come out of coal. And the driver there has been technology. Uh, you know, solar wind has have been becoming cost competitive. You've got cheaper solar panels, you've got bigger wind turbines. And, and so I think, you know, an awful lot of this is just going on behind the scenes, as I say, regardless of who sits in the White House. Biden's come out with this announcement. The EU similarly said that they would agree to climate neutrality by 2050. But China and India, who are also at this meeting, and two of the world's biggest emitters, they didn't put any timelines on their efforts. Was that a surprise? Yeah, good question, right? As you say, you know, China is the world's largest polluter and India is the third largest. Uh, and if they don't make progress, then the global Paris Agreement goals, which you know, most countries have signed up to, of limiting uh, the rise in global temperatures to 1.5%, uh, will never be achievable. You know, China's the largest manufacturer in the world. They have a very heavily sort of coal-dependent uh, electricity grid. They have said that they're going to get to net zero emissions by 2060. But to your point, they haven't put much detail, you know, behind that. So that's the sort of cautionary news. But you know, the more positive news is that 
you know, again, behind the scenes, I mean, China has become a huge driver of the clean energy industry and clean energy technologies. You know, they are you know, massive in solar, electric vehicles, you know, high speed trains, batteries, all these technologies that need to, you know, continue to develop if you know, any of these renewable goals are, are, are going to be met. Uh, and I would also say, you know, I, I talked a little bit about the, um, uh, the carbon tax scheme in Europe, you know, $50 a ton of, of emissions. You know, China's in the process of launching one of those nationwide, which I think is going to be a, a big incentive uh, for companies to, uh, to lower their emissions. Okay, so you don't seem too worried that they haven't put such timelines down as the other countries. Okay, well, our last topic is seasonality. So I'll kick this topic off by saying the classic saying, sell in May and go away. Maybe you could give us a, like a little explainer of uh, the logic behind this expression. Well, I, as in all these sort of adages, there's, there's definitely some truth to them. You know, if you look at the, you know, the very long-term historic performance numbers, the S&P 500, you know, on average, you make basically twice the amount of money in the six months from November to April, about 1.6% a month, as you do in the other six months of the year, when the average falls to about 0.6%. So, so, so those are the numbers. Why is that? Well, I think, you know, going into the end of the year and the beginning of the new year, you know, historically when, you know, that was sort of 1.6%, you know, a month numbers, you know, investors are making plans for the year ahead. They're normally putting new funds to work. Companies are talking about all their exciting plans for the year ahead as well. Uh, and I think this just combines to boost markets. And, and you basically see the opposite of that in the middle of the year. You know, many of us are on holiday. Trading volumes are lower. You don't have these two sort of drivers of investors sort of repositioning portfolios or companies, you know, giving, giving uh, you know, lots of guidance. And therefore, I think we, markets just have historically become more susceptible to any sort of bad news. And they really lack. And then there are less positive drivers around. We've had a positive start to the year. And so do you think that this will hold true over these coming months? Yeah, it's certainly been a great start. I mean, we're up 11%, you know, so far this year, you know, if you look at that in that sort of long term historical context, that's about twice where we'd sort of expect to be at this time of the year. You know, that I think combined with the seasonality we've talked about, you know, might argue for some caution from here. Certainly, I think we're going to make less money in the rest of the year than we made so far. Um, but I do think markets will stay positive. Uh, you know, earnings, as we've talked on, are really continuing to come in strong. Um, I think markets have also been pretty stress tested this year by this big rise uh, in bond yields, and, and they passed that test. And, and we're seeing this sort of everything rally. Uh, and what I mean by that, you know, there's real breadth to the performance that we've been seeing in markets. I mean, everything is going up to a certain degree, rather than this sort of one-legged stool that we had last year of really just tech and nothing else. And I think that puts markets really in a, in a much healthier position at, at this point, frankly, than, um, than we've been seeing before. When you were talking about seasonality, obviously, you're drawing back on previous years. These last 12 months have been nothing but unusual. And so, you know, people are working from home now. Foreign holidays are probably unlikely this summer. And so how do you think that that will affect what is typically a quiet period over the summer? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. It's certainly going to be another weird summer. Um, you know, market volumes may be somewhat higher because of that. And the seasonality effect may, you know, may be somewhat less. You know, you certainly don't want to be sort of buying or selling just on the basis of, of the seasonality. But, you know, it's one of, I think, many factors that go into the investment mix. And, and I do think it'll be somewhat less relevant this year because, you say, it's going to be another sort of far from normal year. Great. Well, that's it for this week's podcast. Before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you think people should be keeping an eye on? I would keep an eye on the US GDP numbers later this week. 
they may well be significantly stronger than expected. I mean, we could see sort of 7 to 8% GDP growth, um, given all the new fiscal stimulus we've been having. And if that is the case, I think that'll just be another boost to this sort of upward earnings revision story that we've been talking about as just you know, so important for markets here. Great. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's podcast. You can learn more about the markets by typing in eToro Trading School on Google. We look forward to chatting to you next week. And thanks very much, Ben, for being on this week's podcast. Anytime. You've been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com.